Hi, Matt McDonough. You know, there are times when you're out there looking for the most perfect podcast for you. And I'm here to let you know that you don't have to look anymore. There's a special podcast network out there called the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. They've got everything you could possibly ever look for in a podcast. Everything. So, if you're looking for something to fill your ear holes, or just something nice to listen to, head on over to tangentboundnetwork.com. Click on the channels link, and go ahead, listen to your heart's content. Here at Tangent Bound Network, we'll leave the mics on for you. This is Sarah Miller from Ink Master Season 2, and I have issues. Hey everybody, welcome to Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian, as always. You know, the one thing I love about podcasting is that even after all these years, there's still sort of this Wild West, almost anything goes feel to it. At least with my show, I like it to be at least as spontaneous as possible because, you know, you do a show week after week and you never want to fall into a rut of doing the same thing over and over again. So there's definitely always that feel of wanting to do something different. Some of the best things to ever happen to a podcast is I'll sit down, I've got whether they be talking points or something in general, I'll have all that stuff up, I'm ready to interview my guests, I'll do a bit of an intro, and then we just start talking. Now, some episodes are very much your standard interviews. You ask questions, you get responses back and forth, but with my show, I try my best to make sure that the conversations are as organic as possible because I like podcasts that are free-flowing, and it's just like you're basically sitting in the room overhearing friends of yours or maybe people like across the room from you having a conversation and you're just listening in. Those are the ones I always enjoy the most. So in talking to this week's guest, Fabian Lillet, whom I met at New York Comic Con, I had every intention of starting the show with, you know, the standard opening, and I was going to introduce him proper. But what happened was we got started, we got set up on Skype, and then the conversation just went. And we had so much fun talking, I forgot to do like a legitimate intro. And that's fine, because you know what? I'm like, look, I like doing the intro. I think it's fun, but at the same time, I don't want that to become a hindrance or have that block what I think is great conversation. And we really got into it. Uh, he's a great artist out of New York. Like I said, I met him out of New York Comic Con. I was, I met him as I was talking to Suli at her booth in Artist Alley. And it turns out he has a couple of comics out, which we'll talk about on the show. And he actually knows some other people who have, I, one I've had on the show and another I'm a very big fan of. And there's a bunch of projects that they're doing. I'm going to let you hear the episode so you can hear more about it without having me spoil it all for you. This is basically your intro because the conversation was so good that I couldn't even stop it just to have him do it over again. So. Without further ado, here's the rest of the show. But before that, actually, what I should have said is that, as always, you can hear this show on the website, AdrianHasIssues.com. You can check me out on Twitter at AdrianHasIssues. 
I'm on Instagram, which is the handle for that is Adrian Has Issues Pod, all one word. And I'm on iTunes, Stitcher. I'm also a member of the Tangent Bound Podcast Network. I'm on the network with so many other great shows like Dark Angels of Pretty Freaks, Salty Language, House of Bad Ideas, That Man on Fat Man, which is a really great podcast dedicated to the work and the various projects of Kevin Smith. I will shut up and let you hear the rest of the show. Enjoy. Hey, sir. Hey, what's going on, man? Uh, nothing much. Just finished the chores. Uh, how have you been? I'm doing all right, uh, as well as can be expected. That's great. That's great, man. I was listening to one of your podcasts like earlier uh, at work. Wait, which one was that? I'm just curious. Uh, it was uh, with uh, the guys who did Sweetie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I saw you guys like mention Bakuman, and like I was like, yeah, this is like my one of my favorite mangas, and I was like, let me listen what they have to say about it. And, yeah, it was. I I fairly enjoyed it. Like, I also liked uh, the look of their book. It's looking really good. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's funny because showing you just how much of a small world it is, especially with like a lot of like the indies. I'm talking to. Um, a lady, Kim Gaines, I met her back at Special Edition NYC. She's yeah. got a book coming out called Eventide, and I've been trying to coordinate with her as far as getting, like, a ton to record. She's like, okay, well, I know my buddy Sean gets off of work um, at a certain time, and it's funny because, well, it turns out it's a different Sean, but I'm looking at the art for her book, and I'm like, where have I seen this before? And it was Sean, who did Sweetie as well, and it's like, and now I'm starting to, like, you know, connect the dots, and oh, it's just okay. funny how, like, oh, cool, I guess it's, it's now I'm starting to see a lot of people working on a lot of similar stuff. Like, especially the indie scene is definitely small. Like, you kn- yeah, you can really see that everybody's just, you know, like, working with each other. Like, they're just passing along, referring each other to, you know, whoever wants to break into the game, which is great. I mean, mainstream is really good. The mainstream artists and creators are really good. But it's just, you know, sometimes, you know, you want to you want to give you know these new guys a chance like and that's what i like about you guys and it was so great you know meeting you at the last few conventions because now looking at a lot of the indie books like for instance i know um jeff Ryder, he just recently released um what was it gravity matters yeah and it was cool because i think sean dylan's working on that and it was like oh erica schultz did the lettering and it's like hey i recognize the people like i know them and it's so cool to see their names on stuff that that's really awesome yeah i agree i mean and and it was hysterical of course meeting you because of course like i met you while um at Suli's booth yeah it was Um. just like all (laughs) random yeah and then, of course, Katie Rex shows up, and then as they're leaving, it's like, oh, hey, it's Taylor, who I ran into before, and yeah. it's like, man. <laughs> Pretty much it, you, met, you met, um, you know, 50% of, you know, Jade Street's um, creative team, more than 50%. <laughs> I mean, we just recently um, signed, like, well, not signed, but somebody picked us up recently, so we're really excited. Oh, really? That. Yeah. Um, I can't really divulge as to who... I mean, I I could probably tell you, but like not on the podcast itself because we don't want to overstep. Our no, parents, I oh know? believe me, I understand how that goes. Yeah. Um, I actually ran into that once myself. Um, not intentionally though. I uh, do music blocking on the side, not as much as I used to. Yeah, but. 
I guess I stumbled upon the YouTube link for one of the music videos that I was posting and writing about. And I was like, I really like these guys and I think they're going to be really popular. And next, you know, I get an email from the vocalist of the, uh, for the group. And she's like, oh, thank you so much for writing about us. But um, she's like, how did you get this YouTube um, account? I was like, I don't know. It was just I searched for you guys on YouTube and it came up. She's like, yeah, uh, that wasn't supposed to be public knowledge. And I think someone of their management messed up and accidentally forgot to make it a private post. Yeah. And she was re she was really sweet about it. And it's like, look, um, you know, I'm not trying to be mean or anything, but is it possible to take that version down? Because it turns out um, it was an accident. It wasn't the finished version. Like, I, I was so embarrassed because I'm like, wow, I didn't mean to. I guess she must have thought I leaked it or someone leaked it. I'm like, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. it was right there. So believe me, when someone I talk to on a show says, hey, there's something that they don't want to talk about. I, I don't want to be the asshole who's like, well, come on, you can tell me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I I like listening to some of your podcasts. I can see that you you're like that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I grew up on superhero books as much as the next person. Yeah. But it's so great seeing books that I never would have known about before. And that's why I, I love just going to cons and just meeting people. And not that the, the bigger guys aren't passionate, but it's so great. Like you said, meeting people like you who are just so into it. Like you were just so jazzed. And I could tell yeah. you were exhausted when I met you at Comic-Con. <laughs> like you looked about as bad as I did. No offense. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> but I mean, yet... yeah, I, I, I fully agree. <laughs> I was, I was pretty beat. I just came from like a sinus infection, like the day before. And then I had to pedal the book two publishers, two creators who would be interested in either working on or supporting a book. Yeah, it was it was insane. You you're definitely right that I looked horrible <laughs> that day. But Shit. yet you were still so completely jazzed about talking about the book and getting it out there. And yeah. you know, you still went to like, you know, the aftercon thing like on Friday. And that's dedication. Like you said, you're sick as a dog. Yeah. You could probably go home and sleep, but yet you're still out here and, you know, doing the footwork and really just put yourself out there and that's that's amazing yeah i mean it's it's for all creators like if you're not willing to do that like work then you know then you're probably in the wrong you know industry or like right. you're probably not going to make it in any industry because like that's that's how it is for everything i've been i've been in music before and without the legwork then nothing's going to happen really Oh, really? You were in music? Yeah, I used to manage a band back in the Philippines when I was still living there. Um, and it was it was hard because, you know, like the music scene is completely different. They tend to be more cliquish. I think that's true with any country. And the Philippines was no different. Um, I was just lucky enough that I went to an art school where, you know, there was a lot of, you know, indie musicians that studied there. So connections were like pretty easy compared to you know, studying in a business school or like a regular academic centric or focused school that the country had to offer. How long have you been in the U.S. then? Well, I was born here. Then um, okay. I, I migrated to the Philippines for for school. I mean, it was a lot of like family issues. And then I had to move there around um, when I was four years old. And then um, I went back and forth a little bit. Um, and, okay. And then from 2009, I stayed here for probably the longest when I when I came here, and then went back for school. It wasn't really like there wasn't anything happening there, so I decided just to go come back home uh, with to the family. And uh, back in 2011, I just said I'm staying for good. So yeah. <laughs> but still, that that's got to be pretty interesting because I'm always. 
in a way, like I feel for that because right now I I'm I grew up in New Jersey. Yeah. But um having since met my girlfriend, I've been spending a lot of time on Long Island, so I've been kind of jumping between the two. Yeah. I complain so much, like, oh man, you know, going through the trains and whatnot, coming yeah. from Jersey to Long Island. But yet I feel like such an idiot because I'm like, there are people who like live in multiple countries and not always necessarily by choice, what have you. And I'm like, wow, I, I really sound almost annoying and privileged. <laughs> I mean, it depends on culture. Like, you know, when it comes to the United States, you do have the choice. But, you know, sometimes like, you know, living in New Jersey is not that bad compared to like the cost of living in New York or in Long Island. Long Island is still a little bit more expensive than New Jersey. And, oh, yeah. And know? I thought it was bad where I am in Jersey because I'm like, let's say, Northeastern. Yeah. Around like Montclair. Yeah. So I thought that was bad. But then coming out here, because naturally we're looking at places and saying, hey, obviously we, we're we not necessarily thinking of staying here. We might want to move elsewhere. And yeah. wow. Like, how the hell is this this expensive out here? Oh, my God. Yeah, it's insane. Like, we were lucky enough, me and my, my old roommates, we were lucky enough to find a place for like, 2400 for three bedroom in the city on 170th you know it was like 45 minutes away from midtown it was great it was awesome it was a train away from my comic book shop i was like i was ecstatic when i got it and like um unfortunately like um some plans fell through so i had to move back to with family here in brooklyn and you know it's just really expensive man i i can't blame you for like you know like of course you're gonna you're gonna complain is like why like why do I have to do this? But I guess the main right. the main complaint should be is like why is it so expensive to live in New York? Just live in New York and just like <laughs> you know, settle my life there because most of the things I do are there anyway. And that's something I never thought of because it's like I don't know, is it me? Like I don't know the economics of it, but I'm like maybe they just do this for the tourists. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's one thing. I mean, I, I don't really understand also like the economics of it. Like, how do they decide how much um, real estate is in New York? I mean, I get it's a prime spot. Um, but, right. But how do they how do they decide? It's like, OK, well, you're going to have to have like one hundred and thirty dollars a year. You're going to have to make one hundred and thirty thousand dollars a year just to live in a one bedroom in Manhattan. OK, that's decided. I, I don't get that. But hey. You know, first world bullshit, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, but at the same time, it may sound first world. Yeah. But yet, I guess it is kind of your reality because mm -hmm. I found that there aren't too many places where one could live. And I and it's sad because I look at all these infographics online and each area around the world, or at least in the, um, within the country, and how much you would have to make in order to live there and live decently. Yeah. I never thought about it. And like, I lived by myself. Um, I had li lived in Bloomfield for about two and a half years. Okay. And I figured my job made decent money and I did it for a while, but yet it was fine because I mean, I'm not going to tell you how much I made necessarily, yeah. but it was enough that like I could pay the rent and, you know, do a little bit, uh, pay what bills I had. And it was nice because it was a one bedroom apartment. And with the exception of my computer and like my game consoles, I didn't run a lot of electricity. Like I did everything in the dark. <laughs> yeah, that was fine. And then of course, internet. So really at the end of the day, that's all I really needed. I didn't own cable or anything. So it was fine. Yeah. I mean, nowadays who needs cable anyway with well, Hulu yeah, and Netflix? I like that's, that's pretty much like what people need at this point. Like cable's just too expensive. <laughs> 
And it's great now because I'm hoping that, you know, that stays that way. Because I'm sure at some point Netflix is like, look, we are now the dominant entertainment hub. We're going to start jacking up our prices. To like- yeah, that's that's like so I work in a bank. So we we pretty much like watch financial news. And, you know, Netflix is always one of the top, you know, companies that they talk about because of how they are not really monopolizing it, but they are the leading in streaming entertainment. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, we see it as this, like, they can just jack up their prices and nobody's going to have any fucking choice with it. Because Right, like, when was that when they upped the price? Because it was like 7 or $8, and it only went up like a couple of dollars, and people flipped out, but yet, like, a day later, all of that quieted down because they're like, well, shit, we kind of use this, so... <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, you know, that that's it's the same thing for Hulu, I guess, because there's, like, this uproar. It's like, oh, come on, now I have to, like, pay extra for no ads like blah 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 is like well that's the cost of it nowadays you know like netflix kind of established you have to pay at least like you know eleven dollars to enjoy your entertainment without commercials right and it was still better though because i looked at it this way when i had my apartment i had netflix and hulu so i'm like okay i spent maybe i would say about average 90 bucks for my internet yeah then I had, let's say, 10 for Netflix and then another 10 for Hulu. That still maybe sounds like it's high, but at the end of the day, no, actually, I, it was at closer to $60 for internet. It was like really cheap DSL. It wasn't even like, you know, really high speed like broadband. It was just. Yeah. But even then, I'm paying a fraction of what like a cable package would have been. Exactly. And yeah. I don't even watch that much TV. Yeah. You give me a PlayStation and an Xbox, like, I'm good to go. Like, occasionally I may watch a television show, but I find out about things after the fact. Like, I'm now like, hey, did you guys, like, you know, watch this uh, Game of Thrones I've been hearing so much about? Yeah. I mean, like, most of my money right now is going to comics and, like, creating Oh, my comics. God, yes. Seriously. <laughs> like, I, because of Secret Wars, I would be spending, like, $50, $60 a month. Oh, wait, are you buying, like, like all the tie-ins? No, not all the tie-ins, but there are a lot of tie-ins that I'm really interested in. And then I was like, no, I can't, I can't do this anymore. So now I can't even afford to get, like, the number ones, like, all the number ones. I need to cut down. So I pretty much said, okay, these are the titles that I'm going to, you know, focus on, like, per issue. And these are the titles that I'm just going to wait for the trade to come out. It's a little sad, but hey. No, it's not sad. It makes sense because um, I had moved back home after that stint in Bloomfield. Yeah. And then it's like, look, I wasn't paying rent per se. You know, I would help out and pay whatever bills if I was asked, but exactly, I had it yeah. good for a while. So, of course, I had a really good comic book shop that had this really cool subscription where the more titles I got, the more discount I got. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm dropping easily one, two uh, hundred dollars on books and it was it was sad because that's sad (laughs) not the fact that you had to cut back on the fact that you're sitting here spending all this money and you're saying to yourself i don't even like have these books but the fact that i could buy them (laughs) that much repercussion of course i'm gonna read (laughs) yeah like i i have a few friends that do that i'm like dude you, you gotta you gotta fix your buying habits it's it's rough it's rough like like right now i i finally cut down to like you know five or six titles a week which is great for me now before it was like 12 to 15 titles a week just because of secret wars and i'm like i'm like it's it's so good but 
do I really want to read all of these? So yeah. <laughs> and what sucks is when I started um when I started production on um Overclock, which is one of my comics, is like I, I had no time to read them. So I just have them sitting here, two months worth of like comics that I haven't read yet. I have it on a pull list, so I can't just say it's like I'm not gonna take them anymore after after a month. So I just took them, and I know I'm going to eventually read them. It just sucks that I can't read them right away. <laughs> so you're almost, like, shamed into keeping your pull list. And, like, I, I, like I'm too ashamed to say I can't afford these. I'm just going to keep <laughs> buying them so they don't look at me different. I mean, I'm not really ashamed because they know the situation. <laughs> I mean, John from Carmine Street Comics, like, I am, like, the, the artist in residence, and I tell them my life story. And they're like, oh, man, that sucks. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, uh. but yeah, like there was one time. So I have a shoe box because like there's like boxes for poles. I have my personal shoe box because I was like, it's getting unruly. It's my books are going to get destroyed. And, you know, our clientele is growing, uh, was growing at the at that time. So I was like, you know what? For more space in the back, I'll have my own box. The box broke. Like. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> it was that many and I was like, oh crap. So yeah. I mean, it got insane, but now now I'm catching up. I mean, the those days of like getting 15 titles a week is over. Yeah. And that's tough though because it's like you're working on your own comics, but yet you probably do that thing I do where I make this justification because all right. I'll put it to you this way. Now, I grew up very big on Marvel. That was always my thing. Yeah. And I kind of go back and forth, you know, for a while before Secret Wars kicked off, I was only reading a handful of books, like, let's say, Ms. Marvel, Avengers and New Avengers, because I love Jonathan Hickman. Yeah. A couple of books here and there, but I wasn't really keeping up with them as much, so I was only reading a handful. Yeah. Then I was picking up a few of the Secret Wars tie-ins as well as the regular book. But... Ever since this all new Marvel thing has come out, like there's been a lot of books that are interesting that at least I feel are interesting. Oh yeah, the all new, all different. Yeah, and I started picking up all those, and I'm like, oh my god, there are more titles than I thought they were. Yeah, and then on top of that, I'm thinking to myself, well, look, I do a comic book podcast, I should know what's out there, but at the end of the day, I don't really cover a lot of Marvel, so of course I should pick up a lot of the indie stuff. Yeah, which in and of itself is maybe those books aren't as expensive. But yet, it's still cost that's incurred. So now I'm like, okay, I'll cut back on the Marvel. But now I picked up these other books, and those I don't want to drop because it's like I want to support this stuff, especially. Yeah. So and, it, and it's hard too. Like those indies, sometimes like it's also hard to come across where mm -hmm. you're like you can only buy them online or like like um, like I was looking at the past interview you had like with uh, the guys who made Sweetie. I guess you can only get them in certain stores or just their online store. So, right. you know, like, so it's really hard to, like, just drop a title for an indie just because you see that they're trying. And if you really like their the content they're, that they're making, like, it's more costly. I think that's what I was trying to say. It's like it's more costly to, to buy these indie books. Only because I feel like, okay, for instance, I know uh, there are a few indies that were maybe like, let's <laughs> say five bucks. Yeah. That's one thing. Like, okay, this is more expensive than maybe your average comic, yeah. which, which is funny because it, it can go anywhere from two ninety nine to three ninety nine. Yeah. But again, like you said, like you want to support these guys. So you pick up this one. You're like, oh, it's only five bucks. Yeah. There's another, oh, this is only five bucks. And, and then it adds I, up. <laughs> right. <laughs> And you feel like such an asshole because you don't want to like 
say, hey, I'm dropping this book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's also the fact that, you know, it it kind of sucks because, like, all these indies come out and they're great and they're amazing and they have really high potential story-wise or art-wise. But the problem right. is, like, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a dick here, but a lot of the indie artists and indie creators don't know how to market themselves to publishers, so it's hard for them to get help. So that's why, you know, they have to charge more. And, you know, charging more means, you know, you're waiting on money longer because people are like, do I really want to invest that much money on an indie book that I don't know about? It's sad, but, like, you know. And that's something that's always tough, too. In doing this show and talking to a lot more people, I've noticed that tends to be more of the narrative is, look, we all love comics, you know, whatever your favorite character is, whether it be a major or an indie, what have you. Yeah. But there's the other side of things, I guess, more of the, the business aspect that I don't think a lot of people know of. And I'm not going to lie. I'm still kind of learning a lot of that as I go along. I mean, I, I me too. Like, um, you know, when we had that pitch meeting, I, I was like, oh, shit, this is how it works. Okay. I mean, I, I always thought of the creative side, but never the business side. And now I have more insight. Like, I slowly gotten more insight with the business side of it this year as I try to break into, you know, like even the indie scene, which, you know, was a hell of a ride for me, uh, you know, because I tried web comics. I tried, you know, with these like really nonprofit indie publishers. And like, you know, it it sucked for me for my self-esteem and like for like the energy that I put into it um, before, because I was just so ignorant about, you know, how the world works when it comes to this industry. So, you know, like I'm actually happy that I met the group of people that I'm working with now that I get more insight. I get more understanding about how things will work and how things usually work. And from there on, like, you know, I have, I can allocate my energy to certain things and know that it's not going to be wasted. And I know it's different things for different people. I know some people are just glad to get their work out that maybe getting picked up by, let's say, a major publisher may not be the end goal. Yeah. It's strange how it works because even knowing that business side, I guess there's still no guarantee because there are books that just get picked up almost randomly. And there are a few that maybe they get pitched that don't get picked up, but they do. So even then, there's no real guaranteed recipe or from, excuse me, recipe for success. Yeah. I mean, there's some things, I guess, that do work. But yeah, you're right. The business side is it's a completely entirely different beast. Yeah. Like, like it's an entirely different beast that swallows people up because they don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, it's sad. And like, I wish there was more education when it comes to it. I mean, I guess the main thing is like, you know, people should just go to panels at conventions. Right. And they don't choose to do so because what they do is they actually go for more of either A, the fan panels where they're big fans of these creators and they want to meet them, or B, the creator connection ones, which is great because you get to, you know, experience, you know, how to, you know, meet people from the industry or who are also trying to get into the industry, but at the same, like, but not at the same time, you know, learning about how you're going to go through with this after you got your group together. It's like, right. just like a step short of where you want to be in terms of being a creator in the, in like the Western market for that matter. 
that's got to be pretty daunting too, and maybe not necessarily daunting, but I, I I feel like I'm putting a negative spin on it accidentally, so I'm sorry about that. No, 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 you know no. What I mean, it's... like if you have like a team, uh, a creative team of like let's say writers, artists, you know, inkers, letters, what have you. Yeah. You really have to be on the same page because you're coming from different experiences, different backgrounds, and. That's one of the things that I don't really think about a lot is on an indie book, it's entirely different than, let's say, a major where possibly those jobs are farmed out a little bit easier. Yeah. Whereas an indie, you kind of really have to be on top of your game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I understand what you're saying. I mean, I completely agree. Um, It took us a while to actually get our team for Jade Street together where we knew that it was going to work out um, the way that we wanted to. So, you know, we went through a few colorists, you know, Taylor, we already knew and, you know, we were sure that we can work with him. We worked with him before. I met him before at, um, there was this, um, I don't know if you've heard of it, the not San Diego Comic Con in Brooklyn. I, you know, it's funny. I've been hearing about it, but yeah. I, it's even with the internet, I'm still not even sure what it is. So please uh, refresh my memory. So basically like San Diego, David Gallagher, who did, um, uh, only living boy, um, he got like just an event and a bar in Brooklyn just to like do a creator, you know, connection kind of thing during San Diego Comic Con. And he invited most of the people, most of the creators that wanted to go, but couldn't. So, so yeah, that's where I met, um, Taylor. And we were pretty much like, I pitched him. I saw his work. I pitched him my, my idea. He, he quoted me. And first, it wasn't really as friendly. It was more professional. And then as time, right. as time went, as knowing, like, you know, um, Katie and um, Brian Visaggio. I don't know if you've met him. Oh, wait. Brian Visaggio, um, he does, um, what was it? Um, Stronghold. Interjection and Andrew Stronghold yeah. in Space. Yeah. Okay. That's right. And he's doing that other book. Um, I know he's been tweeting a lot about it. Kim what and the Kim. Heck is it called? Kim and Kim. Yes. yes. Kim and Kim is the project that I wanted to be on, but no. But then again, me and Brian have um, Overclock. So we can talk about that. Oh, I didn't realize he was involved in that. Oh, shoot. See, again, it's it's like that six degrees of separation. Yeah, it it is just really a small world. Like I was I'm I was just like, what? Wait, I know this like this person knows this person. So I I'm pretty much like connected at a certain degree. And, you know, it's pretty cool. When I met you, you were talking to Sue, and then, of course, I, I had to stick my head in because I'm annoying like that. <laughs> so we're talking about the book. Yeah. And it's so funny because as you're pitching it, all of a sudden Katie showed up, and I kind of fanned out because I'm like, oh, my gosh. I heard so much about her because she... Strange um, Wit thing, yeah. Strange Wit thing, right, uh, that Taylor worked on because I had him on the show... Uh, mm. let's say about a month or two ago yeah. on my interview of Eastside Mag. So it was cool meeting her. It's like, oh, I've heard so much about this book. And then it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like, you guys all know each other? I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is kind of, that almost made my Comic-Con more so than ever. Like, like if I had met Stan Lee, I don't think it would have been nearly as fun. <laughs> yeah, because, like, you know, everybody knows Stan Lee. Like, you know, he's, it's the great. But, yeah, I was, like, finding out that I was friends with this person and this person um, all of a sudden introduces me to, you know, a creator that I look up to. So, yeah, I was, it was insane for me. Like, this year has been insane for me. I, like, I started my journey this year and I'm like, 
And that's almost the, it's the scary part of it, but it's also the thrilling part because you never really know just how things are going to fall into place. Yeah. Like it's, it's all like just blind corners, you know. But I guess I should probably pull back a bit. And I know we've been talking about the books, like almost indirectly, but yeah. we probably should get into a little bit about, well, we'll get into the Jade Street and then we'll talk a little bit of Overclock if you have uh, some time. But um, Jade Street, uh, let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, initially for Jade Street, I was like, okay, I have this idea. I was um, watching Stephen Chow movies at home because I was bored. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and basically what happened was there was this part where like there's these like bullies they're like uh like bullying like these um these food court cooks and it's like if you pay us we're gonna protect you if you don't then we're gonna wreck your store and then from that it it gave me an idea it was like what if like you know i just like have like teenagers do that too but instead of like being assholes you know just like you know, actually protecting, you know, the the whole food court from hooligans because it happens in Hong Kong, you know, like back in the day. So I'm like, OK, let me let me do that. And I had this idea. But at the same time, I was like working on overclock. So I didn't want to pitch it to Brian again. I wanted to see like maybe I can get somebody else to do it with me. So right. I met Katie. And um, when we pitched overclock, we were looking for an editor for Overclock. She really wanted it to wanted to do that, um, but I already got an editor for that. So I was like, hmm, maybe you know, Katie likes the stuff that I do. Maybe I can pitch it to her. So right. let's do that. So I pitched it to her. So she's like, yeah, I'm I'm pretty much on board. Um, so it started off as just like five um, teenage girls in. Um, not exactly Hong Kong, but has that feel. You know how Mars looks like in um, Cowboy Bebop? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> kind of like that. Oh, you mentioned Cowboy Bebop. I'm, I'm already with you, so you got me. So so basically, it's like that. Then I watched uh, Tech on Concrete, um, which is an anime about two orphans. Like, pretty much, they're the badasses of their like small part of town. It's called Treasure Town and um, whatnot, but... So I based it off of that a little bit, and then we couldn't we couldn't quite get a plot going from what I had in t initially. So we were just like thinking and thinking. It took us like about two weeks, and then I was like, you know what, Katie, I really wanted to do um, a magical girl series. So what if we do it? Like I I just suggested it to Blue just for shits and giggles. <laughs> and I was like, uh, yeah, sure, like. It could be like this and that. She was intrigued and she liked the idea initially. We were like, okay, then let's just um, make it a magical girl thing and then let's look at what we can do with it. Uh, right. You know, we threw uh, several ideas and then we still weren't able to like pinpoint a plot until I suggested something about a patriarchy. I remember like seeing the word brides or something um, in a Barnes and Nobles for out of the blue i just like huh what if they were like you know bred to be brides or something with like that and i pitched it to katie she made a lot of adjustments so it's not uh, it doesn't seem that it is you know too focused on one type of culture we had this whole multicultural thing added to the mix why like so if you do um i believe i gave you like uh, a digital copy of the thing 
which I did read, and yeah. I'm already like I'm really digging the vibe. Thanks. Uh, and it was kind of cool because even with that, I did notice because I don't mean to jump ahead as far as the story, but yeah. there was something very Breakfast Club about the uh, dynamic. <laughs> I mean, if you, it's like these teens, you know, these teens of detention who yeah. realize who had very little to do with each other beforehand, but then realize they have like a lot more in common than they thought they did. Exactly. And yeah. I don't know why. I don't think it was intentional. Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. It, it actually was. I mean, if you've watched um, The Breakfast Club enough. Um, are you kidding me? Like, I, I, I felt like I, I wanted to be one of those people. At some point. So I guess you recognize the, the library that they were in. Yep. Yeah. So, um, Katie had the idea. It was like, yeah, put the, put them in the library. And, um, I just like rearranged some stuff. It is kind of, <laughs> it is pretty much like uh breakfast club, but you know, ever since the weeks passed by after we set on, you know, pitching, getting picked up pretty much, having the team together, we're like, okay, let's go hard on this. Let's do something so we can pitch it to Lauren, who's our editor. Lauren Sankovich will be editing a book. And um, we're like, okay, let's do this. So pretty much what you might have seen in the um, in the preview, it's possible that it's going to drastically change, but we do have the feel down in that you know four-page short story. Okay. You know? Um, so yeah, we just, um, we just nailed down certain things that we're doing for a first draft and hopefully, you know, we, we get something by the end of next week and we can start production already. Very exciting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> the one thing I don't think we got a chance to talk about, cause I know we kind of were doing so in passing when we altered it at Comic-Con. Yeah. Now, is this going to be an ongoing or is this, uh, uh, we're planning or a miniseries. Well, basing it off of uh, a, the pitch that we did, it's going to be a four-issue mini. But of course, we intend to end that mini with an open-ended scene in case that if you know if reception is good, then you know it's possible for us to move on to making it an ongoing. But intentionally, right. we're we're making it into a mini to make sure that you know if it does spark pe- sparks people's interest and like you know. It's kind of like riding the wave right now with the whole magical girl explosion that's happening with like Sojak Star Force and, you know, with, you know, Babstar's, you know, amazing take on like the Sailor Moon stuff. You know, we're kind of riding the, that wave, even powered up. You know, we want to say that it could be good, it could do good, but we're just going to wait and see how people respond to it. But I think in the way, even if, let's say, that wave doesn't, if I may, the story itself, I think, is strong enough that I think that people could resonate with that, even without necessarily knowing, like, the influences behind it. Because there's one thing I, I know about people is everyone loves a good teen rebellion story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess, like, that's the most relatable, especially nowadays in our generation. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. And um, that's like, I actually just got finished reading um, Sue's book on hysterics. Oh, yeah. And it kind of has that, that sort of vibe where you have uh, these individuals, like these females, who they're basically just living this life, and not because it was one that was determined for them, but it's because, well, shit, this is what we want to do. And while, okay, maybe their path is a little bit more um, crime-filled than Jade Street's is, but at the same time, it's still that idea of 
you have these people and you know women especially young women who decide to look this is what everybody says that we should do with our lives but you know what we're like you know what nah fuck all that yeah we're gonna (laughs) you know we're gonna do what we want to do if that works towards the greater good awesome but at the same time we're choosing our destiny for ourselves and it may sound a little cliche and you know some people feel like you're driving a plane home but at the same time that's a message that really doesn't get old especially in today's climate yeah i mean the the only difference I think that Jade Street brings to that table is, um, you know, it's a multicultural cast. You know, we are not, you know, making our girls just like, you know, a part of one demographic. We have, you know, um, one of the characters, Saba, who is Islamic and, you know, she um, she sticks to the culture. You know, she. Um, wears a hijab even during her transformation which you know i had a lot of fun designing closest to me was noemi who is filipino which you don't really see a lot in uh, comics not a lot not a lot not that i can really think of off the top of my head i feel bad for saying that no it's fine i mean it's it's kind of cool that when i listen to one of your podcasts like with um sean and uh, his partner for sweetie that they do have a filipino character but you know, like it's it's different for me just because I've been there. I've I know the culture, and there are certain things that I want to portray. I would love for people to know about us because you know Southeast Asians are not uh, greatly portrayed in a lot of the media. You know, yeah, which is a little sad for me because like you know I do I do identify as like you know a mixed race person, but of course my culture the way that I grew up was definitely Southeast Asian. So, And again, representation is important, and that's what makes this comic... I, I know people, like, they say it's a fad, it's an explosion, it'll die out or whatever, but yeah. it's different than, let's say, when the early 90s and this blew up, because whereas that was just all strictly driven by money, yeah, this is driven by people saying, hey, look, I've loved comics for as long as I can remember, but, and this is no disrespect, once again, but... Mm-hmm. There's certain things that I'm not seeing that I feel like need to be addressed and that need to be said. And that's something that's very important. And who better to tell the stories than, you know, the people who have lived them. So, yeah, exactly. And again, I and I know everybody has the best intentions for wanting to get as much of uh, of a diverse crowd in comics as possible. But again, who better to maybe tell some of the stories than someone who's really lived it? Exactly. I mean, right now, it's funny because um for the weekend, I have this reading that I have to do, and um, it's about identity. And identity right now, like this day and age with our with our generation, they're focused a lot on you know sexuality. And I was right. thinking, do I want to do that? Because like I do have family that are a part of the whole LGBT community, and I'm like, I can't convey the voice well enough. And then you know somebody suggested. How about doing something about being Filipino in the United States? It's funny because a lot of people don't know about how it is um, being a Filipino in the United States. It's completely different, you know? Right. For God's sakes, I got I got called Filipinese the other day. By a... <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, I know. I... But I'm like, I'm sorry. You don't even have to have hung out with someone who's Filipino to know that that's not how that goes. Exactly, right? So, you know. It's, oh, my God. It's 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 funny. I mean, they they did not know. So it, it, they didn't mean offense. I wasn't offended. But, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, 
a, a lot of people don't know a lot about Filipinos. But know? here's my thing, though, and this was, this is what kills me. And again, I couldn't really speak to someone who's come from like another country, but just even just just being a general black guy, it's like you know, people <laughs> to say certain things, and I'm like, look. I can't be mad at somebody who asks a question and generally is unsure of certain things because, again, yeah. some people just don't know. Yeah. And even though they don't mean offense necessarily, but and just in terms of just making general like certain statements and you're like, yeah, I would be mad if it weren't so depressing. I'm like, wow, no one really told you, huh? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like I, it's all, I can't I, I just can't be mad at you right now like, <laughs> yeah it's like you don't know what to do like and the, your head starts to hurt it's like because like, they're those people are like puppies that just pooped on the floor it's like they're just <laughs> I, can't, I can't so like every mad. time someone says something that's culturally insensitive <laughs> you just kind of rub their nose and they're like look what you did yeah look what you did like or i was gonna say my original response was i'm just gonna start i know it's a terrible and i don't do this to actual animals so anyone listening please don't take this as literal okay, but like scary. i at some point figure i'm just gonna start walking around with either like a rolled up magazine <laughs> and like anytime someone says something stupid it's like no right over the nose oh god oh man and i'm sorry like that's <laughs> not really funny but that's terrible it's it's terrible to an extent but in the in the context of just making fun of how people are not um as informed about it just seeing it in a funnier light you know that it, right. you know i guess we can just giggle about it a little bit you know um but yeah that's that's the most important thing that i personally wanted to convey um with jade street you know the whole cultural um representation for our girls um katie of course wants to represent the same thing at the same time how it is to be a girl i mean it's this is why i love the idea of her being on the helm of you know writing our girls because she has experience she has a lot of opinions about being a woman this this day and age it's relevant it's it's a voice that people should hear absolutely she she claims that she's not the best writer but i i love what she does i i love what she comes up with um, you know, we do have that whole like disagreement here and there, but we we do it to the point where let's fix this. Let's see how it is. Um, let's get a second opinion and then we'll move forward, which is why I feel like, you know, the chemistry is great. I'm, I'm lucky enough to have like two writers that I gel really well with. That's like hitting the lottery because the odds of finding someone that you really gel with, even in a non-professional or creative setting, it's it's very rare. So again, that's that's yeah. fantastic, dude. Yeah, it's. I mean, if only my dating life was the same, right? But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, like when it comes to creators, there are a lot of good ideas out there. There are a lot of people who are th enthusiastic about their ideas, but not a lot of people that reach out to you the same way that you would reach out to them. I don't know if that makes sense, how I worded it. No, you mean as far as the readership? Um, is that is that what you mean by that? No, more of like um, creating the story. You know, um, with me and Katie, uh, we read each other's minds a lot of time. Like, um, I'd be working at the office and she'd just send me a text like, I want this. I was like, I actually wanted to talk to you about that because I had the exact same idea. 
and um (laughs) that's dope as hell yeah and uh me and brian would be like so brian is like he has these really crazy awesome ideas and you know i have i have these awesome ideas visually but story-wise he would present to me some like insane things that just like spark up like my you know visual interest it's like oh my god i can see it now you know it's gonna look like this the page is gonna look like this and that's what i like why i like working with him too because pretty much invigorates me when it comes to working on that book you know so yeah like i pretty much did win the lottery in terms of uh, my creative um teams i mean they're they're awesome i I guess i can i can swear on your show right (laughs) oh absolutely are you kidding me i have a fucking sailor mouth there you go there's another one right there for you yeah don't worry i'll throw up an explicit tag on the itunes so yeah they'll be fine they are fucking awesome a lot of the people that i'm working with are new but they're awesome they're amazing they're great and you know what? I think that's kind of the difference because having like that new sort of fresh feel to it, I, in a way, I think that almost kind of makes a difference. Like any other thing, you know, you're into it, you're hungry, you're really wanting to change things, and you are. Yeah. And unfortunately, well, I, no, I shouldn't say unfortunately. I'm going to say fortunately is that, and this is something that, again, I've talked about with a lot of other people I've interviewed on the show, is the landscape is changing. Matter of fact, it's not even changing. It's already changed. Yeah. And it's one of those things that I feel like it really is for the better. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm seeing people in my comic shop I never would have seen 10, 15 years ago, not even five years ago. Yeah. And things are really just changing, and you just, people just have to roll with it, and that's that's the way it is and the fact that there's all these new names that i'm hearing about that should really make you excited and i know we as people and as consumers especially we get set in our ways once you get you know you get a handful of people that you enjoy their work you kind of stick to that and it's like it becomes comfort food to the point where you're not even sure what you're digesting anymore you just know that it generally feels good or it's inoffensive yeah but every so often and maybe that's Maybe I'm in the minority in that aspect where it's like every so often I get bored <laughs> and it's like, I want to, I want to read some new shit. Like, okay. And it's like, yeah, you know, what a, throw something at me. Like, what are you reading that I'm not reading? And that's, what's so great about it. And I just wish more people would kind of jump onto it. And I think slowly, but surely they're starting to. For the readership. I mean, it's great because a lot of people like things like the walking dead, you know, the whole DC, you know, uh, TV, universe the whole marvel cinematic universe are opening a lot of doors to these readers that we like you said we would never have seen 15 years ago you know it's it's insane and it's great because creators now want to tell stories that aren't like the mainstream comics that were back then right but they wanted to like a retelling of their experiences in a different setting you know like Deadly Class, my favorite comic from Image right now, is based off of Rick Remender's, you know, experiences back in the eighties. You know, it's setting it's set in like, you know, a world where there's there is an assassin school and there's teenagers killing each other. But I mean, the human aspect of the characters is what brought me into it, you know? And of course the art is just phenomenal. I haven't read it, but the art is really, really cool. Yeah, West Craig's art is i don't know like that is actually the comic that that and saga are the two comics that 
just sparked my interest. Like, I'm going to get into comics. I'm going to go into comics. And that just happened like this year. So <laughs> that's crazy. So, um, so what was it like before that then? So I guess, was it just a fan sort of aspect or? Oh, it's, it's funny. I, it's, I, I like to see people's faces when I tell them this, where I'm like, uh, yeah, I just, um, I just started reading, um, Western comics back in, uh, maybe may of 2014 that's cool as hell and <laughs> like you know i can't even be mad about that because yeah i'm so far removed from when i because i i kind of remember reading comics as a kid because of course my dad was into it but my dad was like i'm into these comics but he wasn't like you need to read these books i mean yeah. he would show me stuff but finding it out for myself it's almost like it's almost like what people describe as, I guess, finding, you know, religion or things yeah. like that. Yeah. Like, my whole world just opened up, and yet, I can't, you know, it's hard. I can't necessarily imagine what that must be like yeah. being that pretty recent, just getting into books, because there's so much out there. No, I mean, no wonder you were broke, man. I mean, yeah. <laughs> there's so much out there. Yeah, there's so much catching up, right? But um, the thing was, um, I actually came back to the United States in, with the intention of actually being a fashion designer, which is funny because um, that's what I studied and I did not plan to try to break into comics at all. Um, <laughs> and look where I am now. Um, but yeah, it was um, it was a really fun transition. I mean, it sucked because, you know, I always wanted to be a tailor because I thought that, you know, tailors were fucking awesome and like, you know, well, now you're just working with a tailor, you know, it's just like, yeah, well, well, well Esposito anyway, but <laughs> tech, technically, yeah. But, uh, I don't know. I do have, um, some projects lined up in the future that I've gotten written down that involve a tailor, but I'll talk about that when, when that comes out. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's not like you gave up on that completely, but it's just, you ended up repurposing, you know, yeah. to a new thing. Yeah. I mean, my, my main talent back in designing was illustration. You know, and then, you know, with the whole, you know, manga background, I've, I've read a lot of manga, just not a lot of Western comics, which are two completely different things. I don't care what oh, you yeah. say that, like, you know, they're comics. Like, no, manga is completely different. The way it's constructed is completely different. Watch Bakuman to understand it. You know, it's, it's insane. You know, we, like... Here in the United States, we have the liberty to, you know, take time to actually construct the story. And, and these people, these Japanese people are like, it's insane how they churn out an issue in a week. I just can't fathom that. And, just, and especially the really detailed stuff. I mean, that's that's rigorous. And I know there were jokes about that kind of thing, but I didn't realize just how quickly they they put stuff out there i'm like damn yeah this is why there's like six seven maybe even ten people working on one page you know? <laughs> it's like do the backgrounds do the tones do the inking do the pencil it's it's um it's insane like like i said i i'm repeating what you guys talked about like like uh two episodes ago it's like yeah watch bakuman to understand how hard it is to make it in japan and how how grateful you know uh, well, not super grateful, but, you know, time-wise grateful Western, you know, comic creators should be because we, we <laughs> have, we have the gift of time. You know, we, we release books monthly, bi-monthly, you know, 
weekly, but we do have the the leeway of working you know, a few months ahead before releasing the book. These right. these mangakas, I have a lot of respect for because they do it within a span of a week or two because they have to because you know they have no choice. It's either rankings or they're not serialized anymore. You know, it's it's a dog eat dog world there. And here, you know, not saying it's a negative thing. You know, it's just like you really want to, you really need to want it back there. And here, it's like you really need to want it, but you do have a lot more time to come out with the best that you have. But yeah, what was I saying before that? My head hurt from talking all about that. Uh, sorry, I was just like really passionate about it. Uh, no, that's great. I love that. That's, that's kind of what we're all about. And again, I don't even know a lot about that stuff because it's like, I mean, I've read a little bit of manga. Like, I'm more of an anime person. Yeah. But anytime, like, I'm still very, I don't want to say, I guess, ignorant for lack of a better term, but there's very little I know about it. So, yeah. again, that's educational for me. So, if anyone else did enjoy that, I apologize. But look, I, I enjoyed the hell out of that spiel because, again, I just don't I'm know. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Also, like I just realized, funny enough, the first comic that I actually read was not a was not a manga. First comic that I actually read was um, a series of flash comics back from nineteen seventy, like seventy three maybe or seventy four, that my dad owned, and he bounded it in a hardbound book back at home in the Philippines, and I would read that for. Like, I don't know. I, I, I believe I didn't even know how to read when I found those. That made me more interesting in drawing. Like, I used to draw before, but that pushed me a little bit more. And then anime came, and then I drew in that style. And then it's just like like a weird, different animal where, you know, I would just, like, mix the two. And then I just saw Cowboy Bebop, and then that was it. I was like, I want to draw for life. That's a great gateway drug right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Shinichiro Watanabe was amazing with uh, directing that whole thing. I mean, I've never seen fight scenes in, like, Western or Eastern um, animation like that, you know. And it's amazing. Like, Cowboy Bebop's been out for how long? And yet, I've yet to see an anime that looks exactly like it. It really is one of its kind. 96. I mean, well, you can can probably see it in um, Macross... uh, a little bit. Macross Zero, was it? I believe. He directed, uh, he did mech designs for it and did um, certain direction for it, art direction. Macross Plus, that's that's what it is. Macross Plus, okay. Yeah. I remember that one. And he, he, did, he worked on it, so it has that similar feel, especially when it comes to, you know, the design of the mechs and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, Samurai Champloo has the fight scene feel, even though they... they ventured more into the digital rendering of um the anime itself but the movement itself was just oh exquisite I mean, just, i'm sorry it's <laughs> no like again i i trust me i've geeked out about many a thing on this show i, I how am i going to interrupt somebody's geek out moment like, just, <laughs> that didn't make me the asshole at that point <laughs> So before we do close out, though, uh, yeah. we should talk a little bit about Overclock. Yes. Yes, I would love to do that. Overclock is my first date. Just a little background. I did like a 24-hour thing at Carmine Street Comics that almost killed me. 
Well, not literally. <laughs> Wait, did you do one of those like those twenty four hour like drawing marathons or something? Like, yeah, like we made a twenty one page comic in twenty four hours. Holy shit! And, How are you? Oh my god! And um, and then after that, I started knowing a lot more people. And then I was like, I am enjoying comics. Let me look at my old notes and see what um what I did. And there was this old Justice League thing that I wanted to do. And then I repurposed parts of it for Overclock, which I used to call it Rewind before. Because, you know, um, it first started as a biker thing. And then I wanted to submit like a few pages to Sean Murphy's Apprentice thing. And then that fell through because of, I don't know, I, I can't really remember why he had to cancel it. So I was like, uh, I need a writer for this. So I talked to Brian. Uh, we talked about having um, a time travel thing, which a lot of people, you know, not necessarily the people listening to this right now would probably say time travel done in comics. You know, X Men kind of messed it up. You know, like a, a <laughs> lot of, of a lot of <laughs> a lot of time travel things. Like Back to the Future, it was a great movie, but sometimes there were like a lot of plot holes. So we tried to, you know differentiate that i got the concept from a game as well and try to repurpose that for our story like the main concept is theirs and then did something else with ours so basically it is about how would new york be if the mafia back in i don't know 1920s 40s you know 50s still had an underground hold on new york you know they just ruled the government and it was good for a time. It was fine for a time until technology has boomed. Um, younger, the, the younger generation has become a lot more wild and rampant. You find a small little group in Red Hook being terrorized by these guys. And um, all they could do is uh, fight back, but they can't because they're fighting against, you know, old money who can afford new technology um, terrorize them with it and basically become unbeatable until one day that they find, you know, some kind of a time device, you know, rewinds it, actually shows you time, flash forward around six seconds, brings you back for you to do the necessary changes. It's the main concept of it. You see how this group grows as they're being oppressed by the mafia. It has a little bit of Blade Runner to it. Um, it has a little bit of, you know, the Warriors to it because it's pretty much a biker gang. All right, you're pretty much just naming like some of my favorite movies. So keep going because I yeah. this is gonna get even better. And it does have a lot of my personal thing that I bring to the table from it. For, um, for it is, it has a lot of um, Hong Kong style fight scenes with not necessarily kung fu, but you know the action angles pretty much feel like you know the newer versions of the hong kong style movies which i love those and this yeah. is great because it's like okay sci-fi and organized crime like okay I, i'm i'm sold yeah it's more cyberpunk i would say sci-fi is a lot more sophisticated i would think and cyberpunk <laughs> is a lit a little more you know a little more gritty i mean based off of illustrations from Shadowrun and stuff and um, it is also Shadowrun. Yeah, it, it's also um, led by a Filipina named Adelaide and her 
uh, ragtag group of biker gang people, which they call themselves the Bakunawa, which is um, it's the moon eating serpent legend of my home country. So, yeah. <laughs> This sounds so cool. So is there a release for this one, or is this something that's kind of a work in progress still? Um, I already got the script done. Um, well, Brian got the script done. And um, I have the layouts halfway done already. I've, um, I'm beginning to ink them bit by bit. Um, we do want to pitch it. I'm not going to lie. We do want to pitch it to several production companies. But I feel more than likely that we're going to kickstart this by January, so we can, okay, cool. So we can um, do a release by March or May, or we can just pitch it to a publisher by March and hopefully have a distribution by May. Um, just the same like um, Jade Street, which you know we are also aiming for that time frame. I guess you guys can check out my Twitter and uh, maybe Tumblr if I do get the time to update that. Um, to see more updates on both books and to see how it's going and where it's going and when it's coming out. Absolutely. Like I can't wait for those. And before we check out though, um, do tell everybody where they can find you. Cause you did mention a Twitter. Uh, what is a Twitter handle? Okay. Uh, everything that you need to know, the only name that you need to know to find me on the interwebs is um, rockets and pens. Just one whole word rockets and pins and um you know my twitter instagram tumblr deviant art facebook maybe even google plus if if people still use that i've actually started to use it a little bit in the last i would say a couple of months and it, it's it's different i'm not sure how i feel about it but it's like okay this isn't yeah. nearly as scary as i thought it was gonna be yeah i mean uh the thing about google plus for me is just like I have too many social network things to handle at this point. I'm like, I'm done. I'm like, I add one more and I'm just going to like shoot myself. Maybe. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but yeah, that's where you guys can um, look for me. Um, but definitely, definitely um, also look out for Brian Visaggio and his project, Kim and Kim. Also Katie Rex's strange wit. Um, also, she's all um, working on um, other things that i don't i don't know if i can say them so definitely that's fine i'll just have to get her on a show then she will have to just talk about them yeah or you can um even before that happens you can follow them brian visaggio is at brian visaggio for twitter the katie rex for katie rex on twitter um they're awesome peoples um they would love to tell you what they're working on they are awesome projects and you should check them out very cool fabian this has been so much fun man like i'm so glad we got a chance to actually you know catch up and i know, chat again I know. because again this has been so much fun yeah it's like um i i rarely um i rarely get to geek out i like i spend a lot of time at karma Street comics which also you if you guys want commissions from me or whatever i'm there every saturday well kind of depending on my schedule but i'm there most of the times it's at carmine street comics um it's on 34 carmine street in new york in manhattan um you can search it um but yeah like whenever i'm there and i have customers you know i don't get to geek out as much as i geeked out tonight you know <laughs> i mean disclosure we met twice and it feels like you know a really comfortable back and forth and 
it's great. I love doing this. So yeah, awesome. Right. And the thing is though, you pretty much met me during like the height of my geeking out because yeah. <laughs> I there's definitely like there's two sides of me. There's I guess the Adrian of well see that's not even true because I generally geek out throughout the day, but me at Comic Con, it's almost scary because I my best friend of over a decade has seen me at Comic-Con. It's like, I've never seen you this amped about anything ever. And it's like, I can't help it. Yeah. It's like, it's the energy in this fucking room. It's just like, can you not feel this? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Cause like we met each other at like the extremes of the, the, the polls. It's like, you were really yes. hyped and I was pretty much close to dead, but it was cool. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, see, the thing is, I was close to dead, too, but every time I end up talking to somebody, like, I just keep getting, like, these... those second winds and stuff. Right, Right. but then what happens is I get home, and, like, I sit on the couch, and then I I just catch fire. Like, I just burst into flames, and just like, well, I guess this is how I'm going to go out. Yeah, I, um, I, it happened to me, I went to the Oni party that night, and I'm like... I can't, oh my gosh! I can't. I've been trying to get into the Oni party for ages. I love their panels at Comic Con. They're some of like the most fun I've ever had. It was like I I I love I love this. Like everybody that I I admire is here, but I I can't my I can't feel my my body. It's just breaking. <laughs> and I <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah. I felt so bad because we went to the uh, the Creator After Con on that Friday night at Comic Con, and again that was one of those situations where. Oh, I never did tell you the story, did I? And I know we're probably going over time, but fuck it. It's my show. Okay. Um, <laughs> unless you have something to do, so I don't want to like take up your time. No, it's still early. I got um, overclock. Um, I'll do that in a few minutes. Yeah. Okay. So it's like prior to coming to the um to AfterCon, and I wasn't able to get to the show that day, but um Joel uh, Barker was still really yeah. cool, and it's like we had so much fun meeting him and engaging with him at um special edition. Yes. He's like, oh, come out anyway. I was like, oh, that definitely. And the thing is, I suffered a really bad knee injury earlier this year and i also had like a really bad back injury from like an accident about let's say three years ago so i'm like falling apart yeah and the thing is going to comic-con it's like getting like the nice shot of like i don't know like adrenaline or something where it doesn't matter as much yeah but the day that me and my girlfriend were heading out to um the pub to um the after con yeah it rained and rain kills me as far as like injuries go yeah, and like I'm barely able to walk, and so my girlfriend's like, "All right, well, we'll get a cab." So we're in the cab, we're heading down to the Twins Pub outside of like at a Penn Station. Yeah, and the cab driver dropped us in the middle of the street. There's two lanes of traffic going ah, around what us. What a dick! <laughs> right, and I'm just like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" It's like, "All right, fine, whatever." It's drenched. I'm getting out of the car, and as I'm trying to not kick the door open, I accidentally drop my phone. And I'm like, I look down, my phone's not here. So here I am having to get down and lie in the middle of the street to get my phone, which is underneath the car of the lady next to me. Oh God. (laughs) And I don't know how I got back up. And thankfully she didn't drive over my arm. (laughs) See, that's a con, (laughs) that's a con horror story right there. Oh my God. And the thing is, by the time I get up to the door, like, I'm in such pain. And the look on my face, I must have looked at Joel, like, how am I still alive? And he looked at me, he's like, are you all right? And retoned the story. He's like, oh, my God. Like, are you? I'm soaked because I'm literally just lying face down on the middle of the street in the rainy New York. Yeah. 
<laughs> and I'm in the bathroom for like 20 minutes with the electric dryer holding my shirt open. I'm like, please dry, please dry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's and I'm so insane. glad because I was 10 seconds from like leaving, going back home. But I'm like, look, I am so glad that I stayed. And again, meeting you was one of the highlights because it was cool seeing you there. And I know you were only there briefly, but still meeting everybody else there. And yeah. it, it was so much fun. So, again, <laughs> I mean, you got to see the other end of that. <laughs> Hey, I had fun meeting you guys too. I mean, it was an amazing. I love Jay Jacob Barker's, um, you know, events. I love him as a person. He's awesome. And yeah, I, I had a lot of fun during NYCC and hopefully I can do more cons and we can all just like hang out again and, you know, shoot shit. I'll have to definitely check out the um, Karma Street Comics because I haven't heard of it. Um, yeah. prior to meeting you and I know, um, what's his name? Um, Pat Riley, Patrick Riley. Yes. I think he's also another artist in residence there. So it's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, um, it's probably not going to, this is probably not going to reach the public when you post this, but just come by the weekend. We, um, every third Saturdays, we're going to have like readings by creators. Um, I'm going to do this. Me and Patrick are going to do, be reading some of the stuff that we make um, this Saturday on the 21st. So, Feel free to come by, sir. And, um, you know, if uh, by next month, just follow us and uh, we're going to announce like other creators that will be doing themed readings. It should be fun. All right. Very cool. And you all heard that. So um, definitely check that out and support indie comic books. Damn it. That's I'm not going to be nice about it. It's like support them or die. I don't know. No, that sounded wrong. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you may die eventually. I just will not be the one doing that. Yeah. <laughs> but no see wow that was a bad retraction yeah. <laughs> see this is why i don't threaten people back paddles, like, the back paddles um, I, I i think i might be part canadian because like immediately <laughs> came i was like that just sounded wrong i'm sorry I'm like, yeah <laughs> um but no like indie comics indie comics is pretty much the future of comics like you know marvel and dc are doing really great and i appreciate them a lot but you know indie comics are what you know make what comics are now you know, they, these, this right. is the voice of creators. This is the voice of the people, um, you know, and we should all support that. Support in the comics and protect your goddamn neck. There you go. Yeah. Oh, man, that's it. For, that, that's I had to. All right. That's it for me, because clearly I, I need to shut up. But <laughs> that'll do it for another episode of Adrian Has Issues. And uh, we will see you next issue.